So we're in the book of Acts, and I know this will apply to Pamela and all of us here. Uh, the book of Acts, victory no matter what. Victory no matter what. Through our faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are, that's the key to our, our Christian faith and living in victory no matter what. No matter what's happening in our life, what's happening in our church, what's happening in our country, what's happening in the world. Crazy, 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 but we live in victory no matter what. That's the whole focus of the book of Acts, as you know. And today the title is How to Respond to Our Post-Christian Culture. How to Respond, Acts 21, 37 through Acts 22, 29. And I'll start off by mentioning, as we've already mentioned, the, the election. We have our pro-life voter guides in the back there. Terry has been handing them out every week, but she's leaving some on the table there. Uh, but no, what we want praying for pro-life victories, right? But whatever happens with this election, you don't have to be a prophet. I don't have to be a prophet to figure out that the country will be even more divided. It's going to be even more divided, more angry, more violence, right? We know no matter what happens, that's going to be the case. We know that. And much of the hostility will be increasingly directed at true Christians, not the fake wake Christians, woke, uh, yeah, it, it rhymes, right? The fake wake Christians, not those, but the true Christians. That's what the hostility is aimed at, the true Christians. And we connected those dots last time. We saw the mob riot. Remember, we saw the mob riot. And, and, and what did the riot police do after the mob riots? They arrested the Apostle Paul, the poor victim, you know. And we connected a lot of dots to that, our country last week. You want to listen to that. Make sure you hear that. We are seeing this pattern of persecution all over the world, and it's now starting to hit the United States. It's just starting. It's not real yet. Uh, you know, uh, as only the Babylon Bee can point out. I don't know if you saw the Babylon Bee's article on persecution this week, uh, but as only the Babylon Bee can point out that we have not really faced persecution yet, but I'll, I'll, I'll read it. If you don't read the Babylon Bee every morning, well, you're missing great news and, and you're, you would laugh hysterically at the same time. But the 10 most brutally martyred Christians in American history. Here we go. As only the bee can point out. Uh, he says, America is a dangerous place. Every day, millions of Americans face unthinkable persecution. It must end. Here are the 10 most brutally martyred Christians so far. So far. All right. Carol receptionist whose boss asked her to turn down the newsboy music this week. Uh, you can see how it's a joke, right? She, she had to turn down God's Not Dead at the best part. All right, so that's one. Rebo Mullins, after his church ran out of gluten-free option on Communion Sunday. John MacArthur, whom the city of Los Angeles threatened with taking away his parking lot, but then didn't. Uh, here we go. Uh, Casey Broop, who worked all week at VBS and received no thanks. Uh, well, I'm not well, your mom, who was told by the deacon she couldn't go up for an extra helping of cash roll at the potluck. All right. Uh, the Christensen family, one of only seven Christian families on their block. Uh, worship leader Chaz Tiggins, and they show all these really sad faces. It's really funny. Uh, worship leader Chaz Tiggins, who only sold three copies of his original worship album in the bookstore. <laughs> the worship team probably appreciates that one. Uh, the Babylon Bee was kicked off of Twitter. You know, they make, make fun of themselves here for being kicked off the Twitter. I think they're back on now. Uh, oh, here we go. Matt, who missed the opening kickoff of the Jets-Bengals game because the sermon went too long. 
Jets bills today. <clears throat> All right. Uh, and then, and here's the ultimate. Donald Trump, the most persecuted Christian in the history of the world. And <laughs> they show him frowning. <laughs> but, but, but then they do talk about persecution and, and especially what's happening in Nigeria and all over the place. But the U.S., the, the point is we haven't faced anything yet. But it's coming. We know it's coming because it's coming to the whole world. Jesus says you will be hated by all nations because of me. And we're seeing the beginning of that. Uh, the real persecution is coming. It's starting. But what I want to focus on today, we talked about that last week, but I want to focus on today is how do we respond to this hostile environment? How do we respond to this increasingly post-Christian culture that we live in? How do we respond? And we can learn from Paul's response in the midst of a riot. There's some really good lessons for us as Christians on how to defend and how to share our faith. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for each one of us that's here. We know we're here for a purpose, a reason. We pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word and would speak to us and and move us forward in our faith. And Lord, if anybody here has never put their faith in you, they still haven't taken that step of faith that today would be the day of salvation. The day that that someone here even or listening puts their faith in Jesus, makes sure of the relationship with you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's pick it up with what just we just saw the riots. We saw Paul get arrested. And we're going to pick it up with Acts 21 verse. Let's see here. 37. 37. And okay, here. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? You see how these... Rumors get started, right? We talked about that last week, right? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic. Okay, now here we go. We're going to look at what Paul says, and these are lessons for us in the U.S. today on how to defend and share our faith. Defend our faith and share our faith. Some really interesting lessons that really jump out at us. The first one, brothers and uh, verses 1 to 3, brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So he starts off with saying, I'm a practicing Jew like you. He starts off with that. This is what is called a great hook, a great hook. A hook when you're going to share something, you want to share something that will get people's attention and and show them where you're going to be going. And this is a great hook that he starts off with. It's great. He he shares his Jewish background, his Jewish background. He finds common ground with them by sharing his Jewish background. His goal is to share the gospel. That's what his whole goal is to do. But first, he uses a connection point. And his connection point with this rabid crowd, this rabid writing crowd, is I'm just as rabid as you are. I'm an observant Jew. I'm, you know, learned under Gamaliel. I mean, he starts throwing these, these names out. It's heavy duty. Paul was a, a top-notch 
educated uh, philosopher, theologian. He was famous in Jewish circles. A lot of times we, we forget that. But he starts reminding everybody just who he was, who he is and who he was. And he uses a connection point. And that's what we need to do. We're in a hostile environment now. It's not like it used to be. Um, and so now we have to find ways to connect. And we can do it. Just like Paul, we can do it. Uh, it's, it. We could really connect with anybody if we look hard enough. You know, uh, maybe they're a Phillies fan or we're a Phillies fan. Maybe they're, uh, you know, uh, you know, it, it, that was that was sad. That was sad. Uh, I, I felt I felt I felt sad. No, I really did. Because it was like because oh, Philadelphia lost the soccer thing in earlier in the day. Did you see that and shoot out? And then I was like, I was just hoping they would win because I had a feeling that the Phillies were going to lose. And I was like, Philly can't take two losses in the championship. But anyway, I, I did. I was I felt sad and I was hoping it would go game seven also. But uh, but the we can find a connection point. See my point, though? A lot of you Philly fans listening, paying attention, right? You, there's Phillies fans everywhere. There's sports fans everywhere. You don't have, you know, I could say I like the Phillies. I don't have to say I love them, you know, because that wouldn't be true, but I like the Phillies. And you can say, and they wear red, and Jesus, red on the cross. You, know, you can go all kinds of places, right? Yeah. There's connections everywhere. I was even reading this week about this socialist group that's meeting, and they're trying to figure out how to turn the United States into to follow socialism. And I was reading it, and I was like, oh, I don't want to read what these crazy people are saying. And I started reading it, and, and it, the title was Alcohol-Soaked Group of Socialists Trying to Figure Out How to Take Over the United States, something like that. And it was a, it was a positive. It was praising this group, this article. I read everything, right? So, <clears throat> but these were, these are, elk, they're drinking, they're drunk at their meeting, they're, they're pot activists, you know. It, a, the meeting was very, all the meetings are very foggy, but what jumped out at me about this socialist group is they said, the, the, the guy said, what keeps me up, the guy who leads this group, what keeps me up every morning when I wake up, I just, just like, tortured by knowing that that there are hungry people i just want to meet the needs of the poor and alleviate suffering i'm like oh really i mean get, i can't relate to the pot and the alcohol part you know i mean i'll get drunk and high you know you you can't can't get to heaven smoking all that grass you get so high you float right past you know you got you know that that verse that song but 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 the key line hit me that he wants to meet the needs of the poor and alleviate suffering. And, and that, that's, what, that's what a key component of Christianity is, isn't it? I mean, that's why Jesus came. One of the reasons why Jesus came, only much more than that. He came to save us spiritually and to meet the needs and to alleviate suffering, ultimate suffering. But there's a real connection there. That's a key component of Christianity. That's what we are. What he said is what we as Christians are called to do in the name of Jesus Christ. That's one of our main jobs. Did you know that? Acts, uh, James, James 2.14, where he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. What this socialist was saying is what we should be focusing on. And there's a, there's a connection. We have a connection point. I'm like, if I was with that guy, I could really connect with him about that. 
if I can get them off, you know, get them sober long enough to connect with them on that, you know. And, and, and that's what we have to look for, even a socialist. You know, these, these well, anyway, uh, you know, a militant, I should use the word militant socialist, you know, uh, look for connection points. Don't look for ways to be hostile back. Don't look for ways to break off relationships. Look for ways with these, these, these lost people. Look for ways to connect in the former relationship and look for the doors to share the gospel. It could be anything. Anything. And I know you're already thinking of people right now and doors that you connect and, and just look for that constantly. The second thing, Look for the, the connection point and the relationship. The second thing is the v- verses 4 and 5, where he says, I, Paul goes on to say, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. He, he, he says, I persecuted the way. I persecuted the followers of Jesus. So far, so good, right? You can see the mob really starting to dial in. Now, this guy's all right. He's a zealous Jew, and he hunted Christians, right? So far, so good. But look what he's look what he's doing. He he's he's connecting still. I, I'm, I've, I've talked to lots of people, so like the like the, the socialist guys. I'm, I'm just going to use them as an example. I've talked to people, and they'll say. You know, well, you're a Christian, so you, you, I hate you because I hate President Trump. You know, uh, they rarely say president, but they, hey, I hate Trump. And, and I say, well, you know, uh, you know, I don't like him either. What? What do you mean? I don't like him either. We have a connection instantly. Now, hold on to that. I'm upsetting people on both sides, but hang on, because I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. But there's, that's another connection. Hang on. I'm going to wait till you see where I take that one. But. I really don't like him. He's a narcissist. All right. All right. Good things happen. I've said this many times, but but uh, so I'm able to say I don't like him. I like some of the things he does, but I don't like him. Right. But hang on, because I'm going to come back to that. All right. So also when he starts talking about how he hunted the Christians and persecuted the way he's he's sharing his past. A past that really fits them because that's what they're doing. They want to riot and attack them, right? And, and we need to share our past also. Paul didn't hide what he used to do. He was a murderer. He helped kill Stephen. He helped kill lots of people. A murderer. He didn't hide it. We need to be transparent. We need to be transparent with the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have to do it the way we were and the way we still are. We can't be like, oh, we're perfect now and you aren't. No, we're still, we're still not perfect. I still struggle, but I have God's mercy and grace now. And, and sh- we need to show them that we can relate to them and that they can relate to us. That's very, very important. Very important. Then... He goes on. So far, so good, right? Uh, I'm a zealous Jew and I hunt Christians. But then he goes on, and this one probably started to make them nervous here, uh, in verse 6, where it says, About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. 
My companions led me by the hand in Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what of what you have seen and heard. And now what you are being and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. I like that. What are you waiting for? Get baptized. Some of you still waiting next summer. We're going to be doing it. We're going to be doing it. Uh, so he says, bright light. He said, I saw a bright light. Remember, we saw that earlier in, in Acts. He saw Jesus Christ. It's probably starting to make them nervous because, wait, where is he going now? He's been so on target now. Where is this guy going? But he already had a connection with them, right? They know he's an observant Jew. They know he persecuted Christians. They have a connection. They have a connection, right? And so when he gets to the part about Jesus blinding him and opening his eyes, they're still with him, right? They're still with him. They're still gripped by his ghost story, right? They're still with him. Why? Why are they okay? Why are they listening? Why are they still with him? Because he's telling his story, his testimony, right? He's sharing his story. And people, they will argue with our beliefs. They'll argue with our worldview. They'll argue with who we want to vote for, what sign we put on the lawn. If you do that, you know, they'll argue about all that. But they won't usually argue with our story, with our personal testimony. They won't usually argue with it. They can argue about all the other stuff, but not our experience. Listen, I've had people tell me, you know, oh, yeah, I saw a UFO and, you know, this guy came out of the ship and, you know, started talking. Yeah, I've heard it all here. New Hope, right? I've heard it all. Right. But but you know what? I, what did I say to that person? Oh, really? That's really interesting. I didn't fight them because they think they saw a UFO, you know, and and, and that's <clears throat> that's the thing. My point is, no matter what we say, if it's our experience, people will listen. They will listen. They will. They will listen. They won't argue with that. Uh, if if you know if if we we share that, and that's why our testimony, our life story, our what God has done in our life is so important because we're not arguing theology. We're sharing what God has done in our life, and very few people will argue with that. So we make our connection with somebody. We have a relationship. We share our past with them. We're vulnerable. We're transparent. And then we share what Jesus has done. You get the point. That's how we penetrate this hostile world that we live in now. That's how. So everything is going great. Paul has the mob eating out of the palm of his hands. But then he makes a faux pas. I'm joking. The Holy Spirit led him to say this. But he, he, he crosses the line. Uh, let's start picking up with verse 17. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue 
to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. Paul just doesn't know when to stop, does he? Everything's going great. He just doesn't know what to stop. And, and <clears throat> I've been sent to the Gentiles and the crowd riots right on cue. They riot again. If you don't, because remember what we talked about last time? If we don't like what someone says in America, what do we do? We riot, right? That's what, that's what happens. We riot. All right. So, uh, but Paul just didn't know what to stop. It's kind of like when I was telling, when I was saying, when I talked to someone about President Trump, I don't like him either. And, and we're, we got this bond, right? You know, this person doesn't know where I'm coming from, you know. I got this bond. And I said, I'm really hoping DeSantis wins. They're like, <laughs> it's like too far, too far, you know, stepped in it, you know, faux pas. And I'm like, yeah, because, you know, DeSantis believes the same thing Trump believes, only he, he holds to it in a, a, a merciful, gracious way. He's not a narcissist. And then they're, then they're like mad at me. But what are they mad at me now? They're mad at me about the views. We can discuss the, the positions, not because... This crazy man, you know, is, is, you know, pushing him away. And you see, my point is that, you know, we, this is what Paul did. He had them. They were with him. But then he went, he told the full truth of it. And they went for him. They went for him. That's what happened here. Uh, Paul did not know when to stop. No, he has to say the worst possible things that he was sent to the Gentiles. That would be like you go to Ukraine and start preaching in Ukraine. And in Ukraine, you're preaching. I'll say, I'm in Ukraine as a missionary. I'm preaching there. And I say, but God has sent me to Putin and the Russians to lead them to, to Christ. What are the people in Ukraine going to say? Boo, they're not going to like it, right? But that's exactly what he was doing the gentiles we are in slavery to the gentiles who were they under rome the gentiles and before rome they were under the greeks and before greeks they were under the no you missed somebody persians and before that they were under the Babylonians, right? They were under the heel of the Gentiles all along. Why? Why were they under the Gentiles? Because of idolatry. Because of idolatry. It was God's punishment and God's discipline on the people of Israel because they had gone to idolatry. And idolatry was a double whammy, not triple whammy, really. They're being disciplined and punished because they had gotten involved in the idolatry, but that they also had become like the pagans, the very Gentiles that they're supposed to be reaching. They, the, the, the Gentiles who are worshiping, the Bible says if you worship an idol, you're really worshiping a demon. That's what Jeremiah is. Look up. They're worshiping demons. These are just demons that want to be worshipped instead of God. And they get people to worship them. Uh, and, and so they had become like the pagans. They're worshipping demons. They become like the world. Nobody here can relate to that, right? Like the world. Uh, Christians in America, no, no way. We would not do this, right? Uh, and, and, uh, and also they fumbled their job. They fumbled their job. Their job. What was Israel's job with the, with the Gentiles? To be a light. They were to be a light. They were to lead these blind, ignorant pagans to the one true God. That's why God called Abraham. That's why God took the Israelites out of Egypt. 
That's why he gave them the promised land. They were to be a, a they were to be a, a, a nation of priests, a nation of missionaries. Isaiah forty nine six says this. Isaiah forty nine six says, "Is it too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth." That was their job. That was their job to reach the Gentiles. So they didn't. They fumbled it. They became like the Gentiles. Sound familiar to us here in America, the church? Became like the Gentiles. And so God used the very Gentiles they were supposed to be reaching to discipline them. To bring them back in the line. And now what God is giving the Jews and specifically the Jewish Christians the job, the, the command to finish the job here in Acts. That is our whole, the whole purpose in Acts and our whole purpose is the Great Commission. And, and Acts, remember in Acts 13, 47, where Jesus, uh, where Paul says, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. If they're being re Called, recalled to finish the job. We have been called to finish this job. Now we're Gentiles, we're called to finish the job still, right? It freaked out. When Paul says this, it freaked them out because they hated the Gentiles. They missed their whole point. They didn't get the whole point. They were supposed to be missionaries to the Gentiles. And they hated the, they, the, these, they it because they were apostate Jews. They were apostate Jews. These Jews, not the believers, there are many Jewish believers here. All the believers in the book of Acts pretty much are, are Jewish. But the, they were apostate. The ones writing, the ones attacking were apostate. They hated what Paul said for the same reason they hated Jesus Christ. They hated Jesus. John 15 and John 15, 21, it says this. Jesus said, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. These Jews didn't know. They didn't know God. They weren't following the one true God. And God, God exposed these fake Jews. They weren't Jews of faith. They were fake Jews. Jesus exposed them. That's why they crucified him. He exposed the ones that didn't really know the one true God. They thought they did, but they didn't. They were trying to work their way into heaven. They were trying to create their own religion. They were making their own rules. They had no relationship with the one true God, and that's what Jesus exposed. And the same thing happens today. We, we, just like God is during, doing in the church in the USA today, He's exposing the real and the fake. He's separating the wheat from the weeds. We are seeing Christians all over America. Why are woke Christians all over America losing it, going against God's word? Unbelievable, because God is separating the wheat from the weeds, the sheep from the goats, just like just like Jesus separated the fake and the faith. That is what is happening as we get close to the second coming. God is separating the fake from the faith. That is exactly what's happening. And then the last part of Paul's defense before we uh, head head towards our communion. The last part of Paul's defense is very interesting. Verse 22, Acts 22, verse 22, 
where it says the crowd listened to Paul until he had said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust in the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to question Paul, question him, withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Interesting, interesting. Paul's Roman citizenship saves his skin. This time. (laughs) Because it's okay to beat a non-Roman and do whatever you want to a non-Roman, but no, if it's a citizen, you have to give them a trial first, and then you can flay them and, and crucify them and behead them, which is what Paul ended up getting. Sometimes, here's a lesson for us. Sometimes we take our beating. We're called to suffer. Sometimes we take it. Paul took it many times, right? But other times God may lead us to use legal means to defend ourselves and to defend our faith. He may lead us to do that. We have to follow God's leading. Sometimes we're called to take the beating like Paul, and sometimes we're called to you know, use legal means to defend ourselves like Paul did this time. Only God can show us. You may not be aware, but during the Great Awakening, back with, with Whitfield and Wesley, you, we know all these wonderful stories about all these people became Christians and transformed England and transformed America. Back in the 1700s, amazing Great Awakening. But what most people don't know is what came first. As they were preaching in the fields, in the cities, they had constant riots, riots and attacks. Christians were beaten. Women were stripped naked. Some were some people were so injured that they never recovered. And this is what the Christians during the Great Awakening went through. Hate, violence, persecution. We only talk about the great thing, the great awakening. That's what they went through. And they took it for a long time. And then finally, finally, Whitfield and Wesley decided that was enough. Now these riots were stopping people from hearing the gospel. People could, would come to hear the preaching and couldn't even hear it because there was so much violence. And they took these people to court. And they won a stunning victory. Huge amounts of damage were ruled against these people that had rioted and hurt people. And after they won, they dropped all charges and forgave 
Nobody had to pay a thing. Because their whole goal wasn't to stop the suffering. It was that the gospel could be heard. Interesting. Same thing we see with Paul. How is God calling us to defend our faith? How is God calling us to share our faith? Maybe he's leading us to find common ground, connecting in some way. Maybe it's the last person you want to connect with. But you know God is leading you to connect with someone and find common ground and and start a relationship. Relationship evangelism. That's where we're at now. There's all kinds of ways to evangelize, but relationship evangelism is so important now. Maybe God is calling us to share our past, just like Paul shared his past. Maybe he wants us to share our past with people, things that we've never told anybody. We don't want to remember, but he wants us to, to share it so that we can, people can see that they can relate to us. We share our past. We say, God, hey, yeah, I thought Christians were crazy too. I can't believe I believe now, you know. I was living the same life you are living. I know exactly where you are at. I was you. Maybe he's calling us to share our past. I, I definitely know he wants us to share our story. There's no doubt about that. He wants us to share our testimony. First Peter 3.15 where it says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. Sharing our testimony. Our testimony. I was blind too. I was in bondage. But... I saw the light. I saw this bright light. God opened my eyes and saved me and changed me. Very few people will challenge you saying that. I've never had anybody challenge me. Sharing our testimony. Maybe God is calling you to take even another step and to witness prophetically. Like Paul. Like the Holy Spirit led him. Often, we, so often we don't want to make ways, we don't want to upset somebody, but the Holy Spirit does lead us to witness prophetically too. Many times the people who react the most violently, the most angry, are the very ones that God is trying to reach. Look at Paul. And, and we, we got, the Holy Spirit will lead us to say something that will convict somebody and rock their world. You know the verse, our key verse, our theme verse for our church, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, where it says, do you not know that the wicked, wrong, it's a different version. All right, I'll read this one. Or do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I share that all the time with people and it makes people angry. Until it doesn't. 
the conviction, the truth of that, that you're not going to heaven. If you anything on that list and a lot more on that list, you're not going to heaven. If that's your life, not that I mean, we don't struggle with those things. We always struggle. But that can't be our identity. That can't be who we are. And I will never change because if that's the case, you can't know Jesus. Everybody's not going to heaven. But you can be forgiven. You can be washed, sanctified, justified, just as if I never sent everything on that list and a lot more. We get a lot more to that, can't we? That, that where we were. We, that, that is, we, we have to share the truth that Jesus can forgive any. That's what some of you were. That's what we all were. It can be what we were. But we can have a new life in Jesus Christ, washed, sanctified, and justified. And maybe you are the one who needs to be washed, sanctified, and justified today. That you need the convicting. You're being convicted right now. You need the saving. You need the truth to be told. John 3.36. I know I always do 3.16. I'm coming to it. But John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That's the truth. But the great news is, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can't be forgiven. You, if you will repent of everything that separates you from God, you can be forgiven and washed clean and justified and saved and be given eternal life. And that's what communion is all about. As we come to communion here, that's what it's all about. First Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11 verse 23. For I re- this is Paul speaking. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. That's what communion is all about. The the bread and the cup represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed, the blood he shed, the body he gave on that cross to pay for our sin, to pay for our crime, to pay for our shame, to take it all away if we will put our faith in him. He did it to save us for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus? Put your faith in Jesus. Have you ever taken that step? You can do that right now. And we take the the Lord's Supper to remember that and to remember to share Jesus Christ. We proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That's the whole point of it. How we take it, whenever you're ready, some of you already have your cups. But those who don't, uh, we're going to have, Todd will lead us into some worship and time to come up and take, take it and take it back to your seat. He'll lead us into that. But there's only two reasons why you shouldn't take it. The first is if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you haven't made sure of that, giving your life to Jesus, then just wait. It's okay. You're on a faith journey. There's no pressure. Nobody's looking. Nobody takes attendance here. You know, it's nothing like that. But you don't have to wait. You can put your faith in Jesus today. 
right now and take the Lord's Supper. The second reason is if there's something in our life that we know goes against God's word. You know, we saw the list. There's a lot more in God's word. And we say, God, not that we struggle with it, but we say, God, you can't have it. I won't repent of this. I'm going to hang on to this one. You can't have that one. If there's something in our life that's standing between us and God. We have to say, God, I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to take it away. And I'm going to fight this now by your mercy and grace. But if we're not willing to say that about something that the Holy Spirit's convicting us of, then just wait. But you don't need to wait. You don't have to be perfect. You just got to open up the hands and surrender. Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us as we prepare for this communion? Maybe you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit's convicting you. You now realize you have no chance to get into heaven. You have no chance at eternal life. You are facing an eternity in hell. And we all deserve that. But you don't have to go there. You don't have to live an empty life here on this planet and then spend eternity in hell. You don't have to do it. You can have life right now. This very moment. By putting your faith in Jesus. The simple prayer of faith. God, I don't want the garbage anymore. I don't want the shame anymore. I don't want my sin anymore. I don't want the lies anymore. I repent. Please forgive me. And give me the new life in Jesus. Give me a brand new life in Jesus. I put my faith in Him. I give my life to Jesus. If you have put your faith in Jesus, your life will never be the same. You're a brand new person. And the best part is now you can now talk to God anytime as your father. You can commune. We can commune with God anytime. Not just on communion Sunday, but anytime, night or day. You now have communion. You now have a connection with God as your Father. And I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you've taken that step of faith. Let somebody know. Maybe you have a family member or a friend here or someone you know praying for you at work or somewhere. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Stick it in the box. Tell me. Text me. Call me. I love to hear it. Let somebody know so we can encourage you and help you grow in your new faith. For those of us who already put our faith in Christ, what is the Holy Spirit convicting us about? Maybe there's something hurting our communion that we have to make right. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to us about sharing our faith. with someone 
defending our faith. No matter what it costs. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would complete your purpose in our hearts this morning. Pray it in Jesus' name.